0: All my friends, welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. My name is Matt, and this is episode 249. And today's episode is um, if I'm just kind of being me for a second, right? Not trying to be like, hey, what's my wacky thing about fresca or eating beef jerky or liking black coffee or talking about the weather? Like, if I just stop for a minute, I I, want to be clear from the outset of this particular episode um, that much of what I'm going to be talking about today, um, two things. One, I do it with a level of heavy heart uh, and two... I acknowledge I'm not a prophet. I'm more of a person that sees patterns, and I try to build off of patterns. But I don't claim to have some kind of clairvoyant knowledge of the future or whatever else. Um, But as I continue to just monitor and piece together things, and I'm always interested in like data points and polls and articles that are trying to figure out trends and everything else. um, My brain has just really been working overtime this week on some of the topics of today, and as it Pulls the pieces together, it does so with heaviness, it does so with burden. it does so with like this pastoral sense of just weight right as i I keep process, processing through some of the things that are kind of going on in our in our particular part of the world, the United States, what's going on with uh, the Christian Church, particularly the evangelical Christian church in the united states and and, and really from that where I think there is a trajectory getting set that is toxic to the gospel and in the name of Christ. And that, that part is really, really difficult. And, and part of this comes down to this idea of trying to ascertain or assess what it is we're really up against, right? Because I think uh, just that idea, like what is Christianity up against right now? Depending on who you ask or who you listen to, you're going to hear different things of what it's up against. And I think some of the things that people think we're up against we're not actually up against, and if anything, thinking we're up against those things is going to change the entire tone and tenor of our mission, and we will do the opposite of what Jesus calls us to do, thinking we're doing Jesus a favor, right? That's where I think it's at, because if we say, hey, what are we up against? Some people are going to say, well, we're up against this kind of social wokism that wants to kind of redesign American ethics in life and that's what we're up against or we're up against liberal extremism and how they want to destroy our Christian values or maybe overseas We're up against the tyranny of Islamic terrorism that wants to do away with the American way of life and and we can come up with all these what we're up against and in reality, those are not the things we are up against, right? Because even that idea up against has this sense of um, combativeness, right? So you're up against something, you got to take it on, you got to figure out how to dismantle it, destroy it, just derail it from its efforts uh, that are supposedly threatening you. And so when we start thinking we're up against all these things, and we think our job is to engineer social issues, we're to engineer moral issues, we're to engineer some kind of political issues, um, then we're missing our mission, because that is not our mission. That doesn't mean that we're not involved in politics or societal issues or whatever else, but the, the way we're supposed to approach that is distinctly through the lens of Christ. Like in other words, we're saying, how did Jesus approach his political issues? How did Jesus approach his social issues? How did Jesus approach moral issues? How did Jesus approach people that were different than him unrescued, unredeemed, unsaved, uncommitted, unconfessed, whatever it is, like how did he deal with those people? And then how do we mimic what we see and what he did? Or we kind of scour through the New Testament. We see how Paul did mission or John did mission or James or Jude or whomever. We like look at their attitudes. The book of Acts is a great model even of how they engaged in mission in a world that was different than the world that they were hoping to see built and butted out in the power of Christ, right? So when it comes to what we're up against, uh, those things are not what we're up against. And if we think we're up against those things, then we're going to be literally up against those things. And we're going to try to figure out new tools and tactics and methodology to take down these things. And those tactics, tools, and methodologies are probably not anything like what Christ endorsed for us. Hence, what we're really up against is this notion that that's what we're up against, and therefore we stop being distinctly Christ-like, and we settle for something far less, far inferior, and way more earthly? But in the name of Christ, now here's why I was thinking about all of this, and there's different pieces and parts I'm going to pull together here simultaneously. So. One is this week I've been reading articles about this growing momentum within Christian nationalism, and I've been talking about Christian nationalism. A lot of people have now for the last few years, Um, and there was a part of me that was thinking like, no, this is is losing steam. It's got to lose steam. Too many Christians are taking the Gospels seriously. They're taking Jesus seriously. They're going to see that this was just a fad of the season, but actually it's showing that it's growing in trend. And I even look in our area that there were churches that really have kind of doubled down on some of the Christian nationalism tone and attitudes, uh, you know, that we have to fight liberalism. We have to fight wokeism. We have to fight all of these social problems. We have to be the moral crusaders that are trying to take back our culture from where it's kind of trending as far as the overall kind of uh, you know, kind of the uh tolerance of our day or the pluralism of our day. We need to take all of this back. And we need to make sure we're fighting for a Christian nation again. And so as I'm seeing that then in certain churches, even in our area, and then I'm seeing how much those churches are growing and people are leaving their churches to go to those churches, it was just all the more like, man, that that really is something that's true. And I've talked to friends in other parts of the country and they're seeing something very similar, right? They're seeing that it's the leaders that are more combative, uh, kind of um, bitey. Uh, A little bit more mocking of the different quadrants of our maybe disbelieving culture as opposed to loving and hurting for our disbelieving culture. There's a little bit more like, can you believe these people think this? They do this. They're talking about pronouns. They're talking about, you know, like critical race theory. And there's not like a heartbrokenness for it, but there's like an elitism behind it of just mockery, you know? And, And then from that kind of this, we need to be engaged in this battle to make sure we ensure a certain kind of ethical framework for our society and all of that. Then I go, man, that doesn't sound like Jesus. It sounds like something else, right? So it's, it's this whole kind of slightly moving, growing, bending Christian influence that I don't think is all that built on the framework of Christ, uh, as he is revealed, but rather I think it's built on a different framework of Christ, as was assumed or expected. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But that's one thing. So a lot of articles on the continuing expansion of Christian nationalism, which, by the way, is not Christian it might be nationalism. I think it's totally nationalism, but I want to be really clear. Christian nationalism is anything but Christian. It, it is fueled by the doctrines of demons, in my opinion, right? I look at First Timothy chapter 4 and Paul talks about the doctrines of demons and how really at the core of that doctrine of demons is rulemaking and rule keeping to keep people kind of in line. And I go, that's what Christian nationalism is looking like to me more than anything else. So that's one thing. Set that to the side. Second thing, pull it into the middle now. I uh, was just reading an article on Generation Z. And, uh, you know, I, my kids are all Generation Z, so I'm always fascinated by that age bracket and everything else. And Gen Z is the first generation since we've been kind of tracking this data where it's the males that are more religiously committed than the females. So typically, you know, like I go back to most of my life in church that I can recall, it was always, the, you know, you would see like a woman would come to church, but her husband wouldn't come to church. And you would see more on average women who would be there than men would be there. And there was always this sense of religion is a little bit more, maybe it's touchy-feely, maybe it's just more spiritualized. Maybe there's just a different commitment between men and women when it comes to expressions of organized religion. And so it was always that women kind of outpaced the men in engagement. But with Gen Z, it's flipped. It's flipped in such a way that now increasingly women are not interested in organized religion, but men are. And, and then in looking at this more, I think about some data that's come out in the last couple of years. It was by Gallup and by, I think it was Pew, and even some others did this, showing the growth in evangelicalism in particular, uh, coming from those who actually didn't go to church and still don't go to church, but are identifying with it for political motivations. In particular, this idea of kind of nationalism. So you have perhaps, and again, this is just me speculating, so I'm just trying to put the pieces together. And so I acknowledge that right up front. This is a hypothesis. Uh, This is not a prophetic fact, anything like that, right? But what you may in fact be seeing then is more influx into evangelical Christianity, not on the merits of this sacrificial, crucified, resurrected Christ who says, go and love your neighbor and love your enemy, but rather this identifying with a type of nationalism where younger men are going to be more attracted to that than younger women, specifically because it's this kind of crusadish, Um, you know, we're going to stick it to the man. We're going to stand up and we're going to fight. We're not going to tolerate this crap anymore. And that can be attractive to young men. Like, get out of our culture for a minute. I mean, one of the things we've talked about for decades when it comes to even some of the issues in the Muslim world and why does it seem that terrorist networks can rally young men to their cause, well, this is kind of like a hint of that same idea. There's like this militancy, this brotherhood, this sense of you're important in this equation, you're smarter than those other people if you join up with us. And so there's a, a brotherhood that forms. And in the same way as I listen to some of the Christian nationalist speakers It reminds me of that same tone, right? Come and fight for the cause. Put on the full armor of God. We follow a warrior God. Look what he did in the Old Testament as he decimated, destroyed, and just doled out destruction on everybody who was against God. And so you have all these pieces then coming together. And from that, I can't help but look and go, yeah, this is the real threat, against Christianity maybe in our particular time right now, but tensions are high. The nation is incredibly divided. I was just even reading an article this morning that was talking about uh, the idea that, that the States are now trying to become nations within themselves, it just kind of in disposition and tone and legislation. Like it is like, we're going to create a little country as a state because uh, again, we, 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 so are, put off by the other side of whatever the thing is. And that's true for both blue and red states. Like there's just kind of a doubling down on, we don't want you. We don't need you. We don't like you. We're going to move away from you. So we don't have to deal with you, live by you, be friends with you, be neighborly to you. And all of this, that stuff is the greatest threat. To Christianity. That's the greatest threat to our mission. When we think our mission is to be the referees and the keepers and the fighters of morality or a certain way of life or a certain set of, of creeds or ideas that come out of secularism, not out of scripture and the ministry of Jesus. And I think Christians are uniquely poised to fall into that trap. And so what I think The danger is then to us as everyday missionaries right now, what the danger is to us as conservative evangelical Christians is that we don't want Jesus. We want Christ. And that already sounds problematic, doesn't it? So let me, let me track this out for a minute. So, um, you go back to the kind of the first century climate. Um, Jesus arrives on the scene and Jesus is the Messiah. He is the true Christ. But the problem that everybody tended to have with Jesus is that he did not match what they wanted in a messianic chosen one Christ. They wanted a warrior Christ who had set up a national identity, would wipe out their enemies or at least subdue their enemies. And from that, they as followers of Christ would rule and reign with this messianic Christ with a rod of iron with a sword of power, right? So they wanted this combative Christ. They longed for that. They expected that that's what he was going to be. And it's very understandable. I just finished the Gospel of Luke and we talked all about that, that when you look at the Old Testament, it very much looked like the Messiah was going to be this kind of conquering king. That's what he was going to do. And he was going to give you the world you envisioned against those who envisioned a different kind of world. That was the assumption. And then Jesus shows up and he's an altogether different, upside down, backwards, scandalous Messiah. And he doesn't fight. He doesn't resist. He doesn't call us to bear arms. He doesn't call us to go ahead and, you know, push back on the systems that be in an aggressive earthly way. Rather, he's like, okay, I want you to do this all so utterly different. That's the only way you'll actually really win over the world is you will win over the world. You won't beat the world. You won't win against the battles of the world, but rather you will win them over in this compelling, gracious, loving, sacrificial way. That becomes the way of Jesus. And it's very clear throughout the Gospels. This is why I'm always so surprised when I see so many Christians kind of jettison the obvious of Jesus's message and embrace just a way more kind of corrupted, um, like, I'm going to pick and choose what I want and don't want, you know? And and if I sound caustic and bitey and rude, it doesn't matter because that's what this is all about. It's about calling out sin for what sin is and standing up for what is righteous. And I go, man, that is both a broken understanding of sin and a broken understanding of righteousness. Because what righteousness is about really at its core is not what I want, what I seek, what I need, but rather I, I want civility and justness for everybody around me which means I need to work in that framework. And when it comes to those who are disbelieving or disenfranchised or or they have deconstructed or whatever else, all the more, what's our tone to be? It's not to be, again, rude or belittling or mocking, because it was even weird. Just this week as I go on social media, I, I see these people that I love, these Christians that I love, just sound mean at times about different things, maybe something that's in the news or about a politician or whatever else. And, and listen, I get, I get that there are plenty of disbelieving people out there that do the same thing. And I go, right. But I I always come back to their rules are different than our rules. Like when we signed up to Jesus, we signed up to these rules that he puts down that frankly are stupid, stupid rules. If you want to do things in an earthly way, right? Like they are completely upside down and backwards. You know, how do you, how do you win by losing? You know, how do you live by dying? Like, like this is where Jesus does such a favor of saying, literally, I've I've just laid out a ton of opposites for you, right? That's the way you do life. You do life in the opposite. You live for me in the opposite. That's the essence of faith. I'm going to trust you, Jesus, that this is the best way, even though it makes zero sense in the world. This is why Paul says it's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness, right? Unless you really believe what Jesus is saying. And that's my concern, that the great danger that we face as Christians right now is that we don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise in the ways of the world. We want to be strong and warrior-like in the ways of the world. We are going to literally recreate the crusades of a moral caliber in our world, even if it costs our witness, but it secures our Christianity in the nation. That's all we care about. And that, that my friends, is the greatest danger to the gospel, to the church, to the name of Christ. Because none of that is gospel, church, or the name of Christ at all. That is the Messiah the world wanted It's not the Messiah the world needed. And my tendency as I continue to look, to watch, to read, to try to pay attention is I go, man, what may be starting to rally within the conservative evangelical church is this poison of um, Jesus as he was is not what we want. Jesus as we want to recreate him is what we hunger for. And we're going to land on that and call it Christianity, call it Christ, call it God honoring, call it biblical. And it's none of those things, none of those things, right? Because when we think about kind of that dynamic, it it, it hearkens back to Israel in the old Testament, right? This idea of like, Hey, you invade the land of Canaan. You deal with all the sinners in the land. You kill the men, women, and the children. You kill the animals. If you need to, you wipe it all out, you take it all over, you enslave who's left. And that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, I sometimes wonder if that's almost the the latent attitude that's inside some of these things at times where it's like, yep, that's that's okay to do. If it's in the name of God, if it's in the name of holiness, hey, you do what you got to do, right? Turning the other cheek is not going to get the job done. You You have to be more aggressive and assertive. And all of that just obscures what the whole kingdom project is all about. And it shows how little faith we may actually have. We don't actually trust the way of Jesus to get things done. No, we go in the name of Jesus, we'll do it our way to get things done. So we're still doing it for him, but we're doing it in all the earthly human, either violent, caustic, cruel, rude, judgmental, proud, mocking, belittling ways. And we pat ourselves on the back. We do, hey, good job. We all did it, right? We all did a great job there. And again, I just go, that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of the cross, It's not the way of the example throughout the New Testament, right? It's just not. And so this is where we have to remember what our identity is. Our identity is not Americans. Our identity is not nationalists. Our identity is Christ, its kingdom, its citizenship, not of this world. And that is what we need to rally to again. This is where I think the American church stands at a really interesting precipice because one of the things we've proven for the last few years is that the leaders we tend to be attracted to is uh, not Fred Rogers, right? You know, we, we're like, Mr. Rogers, this guy's too nice, right? So, what we prefer is somebody that uh, will take things on and headbutt those things and, you know, speak boldly and brashly. And we go, see, that's courage. You, you'll say what's real. And I go, sometimes courage is just callousness. Sometimes courage is carelessness. Sometimes courage is Christlessness. If that courage isn't rooted in deep compassion, deep love, deep mercy, the fruit of the spirit. Right. Like, honestly, just I, I think about even, you know, I was just listening to another one of the um Marshall podcasts because they're still continuing to release different episodes every once in a while. And this was all on spiritual abuse. And then I thought about the environment that I trained in, and it was an incredibly spiritually abusive environment as a church. And I, I think about other places I know of where there are spiritual abuses that go on. And oftentimes those leaders are ones that you go, they're courageous. They're the courageous ones. Uh, And I go, you know, real courage, real courage is highlighted in Christ. He is, was the model of courage. And then I just dare you to read the gospels. I dare you to read the gospels and go, oh, let's model. Let's, let's see the model of courage as I read about Christ. What was it he did that was so courageous? Now, one of the things he did do is he did speak up and speak out and say some hard things. But remember, he almost always said those two. Religion, the religious, right? The ones that tended to be abusive with their systems. He was very hard on them. And he knew that religion wanted to take control of the world with a warring Christ. And all the more, he was trying to get them to break loose of that and to understand that, yes, you can be passionate about faith, passionate about your beliefs, passionate about your orthodoxy, but it must be bathed in humility and service and love of neighbor. In fact, that's one of the reasons I love the book of Leviticus. Of the five works of Moses, it's in the very middle. And in the middle of that is the definition of what holiness is really all about, which really comes down to loving God and loving your neighbor. That's really the essence of it. You take all that stuff that's hard to understand, and you reduce it all down. And that's the reminder that we are called to love God and love neighbor. The neighbor that's easy to love, the neighbor that's tough to love, the neighbor that loves you, and the neighbor that has no love for you, you're still to love them. And that is, again, the risk of the great failure if the world around us doesn't know we love them. If they feel we reject them, want to control them, we disrespect them, we mock and tease and belittle and have little silly memes that are just meant to show that they're dumb and we're smart, mission fail. Absolute mission fail. And that's my concern. My concern is we are drifting off of mission and doing the opposite of mission. We're going to do the anti-mission and we're going to do it in such a way that instead of doing it in the way of Christ, we're actually embracing a type of antichrist in the name of Christ, which I know sounds a little strange, but an antichrist, I didn't say the antichrist, but an antichrist is basically saying in the name of Christ, I'm going to do everything in an unchristlike way, but I'm doing it for the name of Christ. And that's all that matters. That's the space that I think we're beginning to flirt with. And that's the space that then we as everyday missionaries have to go. We're not going to let that happen we're going to we're going to make sure that we embody something different that we let our person and our disposition and our approach to the world speak volumes to try to drown out the volume of this failed broken artificial Christian nationalistic thing that's beginning to more and more gain some power, more and more tantalize some ears, because I think there's a lot of itching ears out there. And a lot of times when we think about that passage out of Timothy, we go, itching ears are always people that want to be liberal and sin and they want to, you know, be licentious and they're looking for somebody to tell them they can go and, and do those things. And I go, and just as true there are itching ears that say, that's right, tell us we can fight. That's right, tell us we can be crass. Tell us we can be rude. Tell us we can be belittling to disbelievers and deconstructed and tell us that we can be kind of like mean to the liberals and we can put them in their place. And that's right, tell us that we can take things back. And that is also just as much rooted in our sins as anything else. So I know this is a lot of lecturing. And I know for many of you that listen to the podcast, you're like, I don't want to be a Christian nationalist. In fact, I listen to the podcast because I'm concerned about Christian nationalists. So I know it might be preaching to the choir right now, but, but I'm also saying it for us to be aware that there are always voices that are trying to pull us a little bit in that direction. And those voices are increasing. And again, over the last couple of years, I've just watched it repeatedly where I'm like, man, you know, I, people that I love and people that I know and people that I, I, when I talk to them face to face are so generous, but then I see them doing things on social media where it's It's so heartbreaking. I'm like, it just tells the world, we think you suck and you're stupid and you're wicked and you're going to hell, by the way. And we're not going to put up with it in our society. And so we're going to make sure we shut you down or shut you up in any way possible because that's what really matters. And again, that's just Christian nationalism. It's just trying to create a bunch of whitewashed tombs. And that's not what changes anything, right? And that's what we see in Jesus, right? What changes things is when people who look like Jesus reach out to other people and those people see who Jesus really is and there's transformation. And that transformation is, again, generous, gracious. Just go walk through the fruit of the Spirit again. Walk through the definition of love again. The way it plays itself out. Walk through the Sermon on the Mount again and the Sermon on the Plain again. Like all those things are just such kindergarten level things, but that's how it looks. But that's not how it looks right now. And that is my deepest concern pastorally. That the way it looks right now does not look like fruit of the spirit stuff, does not look like the Sermon on the Mount, does not look like the definition of love. If it did, we would be the ones, and I say we collectively, you understand what I mean by this. I'm not trying to say every one of us is guilty of this. I'm sometimes guilty of what I'm talking about, though that's true, Um, but, but we would be the ones laboring over time to be the peacemakers, not the, not the combatives, not the ones trying to stir up strife. We would be working really hard. If we're taking Jesus seriously, we would be working extra, extra hard to be the peacemakers. If we were trying to be Jesus in a really concerted way, we would say, you know what? I'm going to lay myself down to, to, to mend fences with my neighbor. I'm gonna lay myself down to make a relationship right with a family member. I'm gonna lay myself down to reach out to this person that really hates my faith and I wanna show them a different kind of person. In the end, they may still hate me and hate my faith, but I've really worked hard to let them see Jesus in my life. Like We'd be doing that. We'd be saying, I want to be near those who are different than me. I want to be around people who disagree with me. I want to be kind of in community with people that I can show Jesus to that may not be seeing Jesus in their community or seeing Jesus accurately in their community or may even feel their community is judged and hated by those who follow Jesus and I need to show something different. Because that continues to be the commonality, right? The divide between the believer and the disbeliever is growing, and while the believer should be pressing in and moving toward the the, the opposite end of that divide, right? It's like if if you know the the, the Christian and, and disbeliever is like really fracturing away from each other, it should be the believer that's in pursuit, loving, humble, not like bossy, pushy pursuit, but in pursuit. Instead, what we're doing is saying, like, I'm going to move away from you people. I don't want to be near you people. I want to be in my own little fishing pond where there are no fish and I can fish forever for no fish because at least I'll be with all the other fishermen and that's way more fun. But that's not mission. That's not what this podcast is all about, right? Again, that's just Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is we all are together and we all agree. And if you don't agree, please go away or we'll shut you down. That, that's what it would want. But that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants something from us that is different, to be like him, think like him, do like him, love like him, and reach out to the world around us just like him. And the way he did it, please don't listen to me. Go back and read the gospels. Just go back and read the gospels, how he did it, right? Take notes on how he did it. And and, and I believe if we can do that, we can reclaim some of these things that are getting lost. I think we can deal with the great threat against the gospel and the church. I think right now, perhaps Christianity may be the greatest threat to the gospel and the church right now. If we don't turn the tide, I, I think we have time. I think it's early in a lot of ways, but there's a growing momentum and a growing steam on this and a growing sense of um like anger among Christians toward our world and a sense of we're under threat from our world and that's turning us into jaded, cynical or, or kind of um, defensive personalities. And that's when the gospel dies, right? When our posture to the world is that, then the gospel doesn't go forth as it should, right? The mission of Jesus is abandoned for our own fight or flight tendencies. And that, that's tragic, And it's happened at different times in different ways before. The church will flourish. I don't disagree. You can't stop the gospel. We can't stop the church in an overall timeline, global way. But you can have regions and seasons that that's exactly what happens. That can happen. And there are certainly places when we look at Christian history where Christians did this exact same thing. They didn't want to be like Jesus. They wanted Christian nationalism. They didn't want to go ahead and be the servants of culture. They wanted to be the controllers of culture. And it was always bad. It was never good. And we're moving in that direction a little bit right now too in our society. And that's why we want to do it different because we understand the cost is great to live like Jesus, but it's the only thing that changes things. And so, we got to roll up the sleeves. We've got to submit our person. We've got to calm our hearts in the spirit. We need to lean hard into the upside down and backwards ways of Jesus. We need to embrace Jesus as he really was, not wish Jesus was this warring Messiah that everybody wanted him to be. And then in that, we remember that that's what we do as well. We follow his example of the one who gave himself for us. Therefore, we give ourselves away for others because that's the business of the everyday missionary.